You are listening to a message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. For more information on City Church, or for additional resources, including service times, recommended readings, and additional audio, please visit citychurchpa.org. I want to welcome you and thank you so much for uh, being with us this morning. And um, if you don't know me, my name is Raphael. Uh, Raphael, and I'm privileged to be one of the elders here. And um, and as we are going through Advent, uh, I hope God is warming your heart up and really just like uh, intersecting with your heart uh, with the good news of his coming. Uh, And like I said last week, uh, let's really pray and ask God to help us so that this season uh, will not be, the the season of Advent would not be wasted um, and and where we're distracted by a million things, but we're really just focusing on who God is and what he has done. So today we're looking at Jesus being the king. Uh, Jesus being the king. So um, if you were to ask me what Advent is, it's a time of looking away and looking at Jesus, looking away from anything that wants to distract you and looking at Jesus. Uh, And so the question that you and I probably need to be asking ourselves is how... How can we avoid the destruction, uh, the destructions of our culture, uh, especially at Christmas, uh, when the trivial and and just like the trivial comes to us thick and fast, right? How can we free ourselves from the entanglements of sin, uh, and then the, just the things that want to come and destruct us? So I like what Tim Chester says in his uh, in his devotion that we uh, that we're asking everyone to go through this Advent. He says this. Advent is a time, the time, uh, it's a time when we celebrate the coming of Jesus, yet the big irony for us uh, is that it easily gets full of things that hinder our view of Jesus, right? It's a busy time. Uh, if, you are, if you are like me, it's parties upon parties, right? Staff, work, uh, you're probably like, uh, you're getting to be an expert in stealing stuff from white elephant stuff, uh, right? And I just like, it's parties upon parties, right? We're celebrating the birth of Jesus, but he ends up not being invited to his own party. And he says this, there was no room for him at the first Christmas, and if we're not careful, there is no room for him in our Christmases. And so we need to actually continue to prepare him room in our lives and say, God, would you continually show us who you are? Let's make sure we do not waste the Advent season, uh, the season, and let's make sure we press in on what does it mean that you came? And in our text today, it shows us this, that Jesus is superior to the angels as the agent of God speaking, right? He is superior to the angels. And if you can walk away with one thing today, it's going to be this. If Jesus is king, this is actually what, what we need to do, fixating on Jesus the King means that our lives are fully submitted uh, to his rule and we actively maintain a rightful view, uh, a rightful high view of our great salvation. This is who, what we need to be doing. To say it another way, it's going to be this. Centering our lives around Jesus uh, as our King requires us to be fully devoted to his rule. Um, be fully devoted to his rule, uh, to always remember even the, 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 the astounding grace that he has given us. This is what we need to be pursuing. Jesus is king over our life. And so ours is a kingly salvation. And it needs to be treated as a very important uh, message of the gospel. So fixating on Jesus, the king, means that our lives are fully submitted to his rule. Fully submitted to his rule. So look at Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4. So he became superior to the angels. He became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. 
He became superior to the angels just as the name is he inherited is more excellent than they are. So Christ is actually lifted higher than the angels. Angels were the very, the very uh, agents of uh, where, where God would send them with the messages. And, and, and throughout the Bible, we see angels showing up. Uh, and there was, a, there, there was a way in which the people uh, of the, 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 that culture, the Jewish people, they venerated like they, they if a man an angel came with a message, you took it seriously. You took it seriously. And so, uh, but at the same time here, uh, what the writer is coming and he's saying that Jesus is actually superior than the angel. So if you took the messages of, of, of angels seriously, uh, seriously, then you take the message of, of Jesus even more seriously. And so here, like, at least it's not, uh, when he's saying that, like, so he became superior to the angels. It's not, a, it's not a difference of degree, but it's a difference of being. There's a difference between angels and Jesus. Jesus is not a, he's not a glorified angel. He is the son of God. That's what we get to see here in this text. When, you, when, when you're looking here, it's actually talking about this is his abiding state from eternity to eternity. He is the son of God. And so Christ's name is more outstanding than actually angels as you see there. He has an excellent name. And then so we get to actually enter into this text and where he then begins to unpack the excellence of Jesus' name, that Jesus is actually better than angels in the fact that like Jesus is called the Son of God. And so what the, what, what the writer of Hebrews does is that he goes into, into the Bible and then he picks up all these writers of, 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 from the book of Psalms mainly, seven passages that he begins to unpack to show that even though they were talking about the Davidic king of that day, but God had promised that through him, through, through David, that his kingdom was going to last forever. And this is now the Messiah, the Davidic king, that even though he was talking to David and all these other, David and all these other kings, but he was ultimately talking about God. Look at that next verse 5. For to which angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father. This is Psalm 2. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Right? He's quoting some too. And this is, this, this, is, this is God himself talking and affirming the son. And he's affirming the son and he's his unique relationship with the Messiah, this Davidic king. And he doesn't, share, he doesn't share the same being as angels. Jesus shares the divine nature, uh, the divine nature with God. And look at the next, next one. It says, again, he brings his firstborn into the world, right? And that word firstborn there, it's talking about that his, his pre-incarnate existence. Before he came, he existed with God. And then so he, this is like he, the son had an existence before a creation. And he came into his creation. And, but it says that he says to all, let all the angels worship him. And he's saying, Jesus is better than angels, even the angels worship him and we see that angels sung in the first advent they 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 sung and they say glory to god in the highest god has finally come in, in luke chapter 2 and then we also see angels worshiping him in revelation chapter chapter 5 uh, we see angels bowing before him and here he is emphasizing jesus is better than angels Whatever it is that you can be so dazzled with, angels are at the top of that. And Jesus is saying, you need to be dazzled even more by Jesus. Right? And about angels, he says, he makes his angels wind, winds and his servants a fiery flame. And these are just like agents in which like God would send angels and he would actually transform them as a wind and as flames to communicate with people, right? And, 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 and this is what, uh, and, and here God is saying that like the sun, the angels could be employed and sent as, as servants, and, but yet the sun, he is above the created order. He does not change at all. 
but to the Son. He says, your throne, God. And that's now like where it looks like. It's to the Son. He says, your throne, God. Talking to the Son, and the Son is actually referred to as God. He shares the same nature as God. Your throne is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of justice. He's quoting Psalm 46, which was used mainly at a royal wedding. And he's talking about, used mainly at a royal wedding. And he's talking about the son. He shows that Christ is the enthroned son whose reign and lordship is eternal. He is eternal and his throne is divine. He's called, he's called God here. But I want you to see what, 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 why we can trust him here. He rules with righteousness. Right, I like what the NLT says, your royal power is expressed in righteousness. He rules in righteousness. It means that he will never do you any wrong. You can fully trust him. He rules with justice and it says this, but not only just like he, justice is not something that he does and righteousness is not something that he does. Listen to this. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. Right. So he loves righteousness. He loves, and so this, this is his posture always. He likes, he loves righteousness. This is his customary attitude, and it, which, is, which is to cherish all of God's ways and to keep all of God's ways. This is what made him so different than anyone. He endured hostility, even against uh, the battles with Satan himself, even against the culture around him, and, and even against death, keeping righteousness. He fulfilled God's righteousness in each and every way. He loved God. Where you and I cave in, where Israel failed in the desert, where Israel failed, Jesus conquered in each and every way because he loved righteousness. And he hated evil. That's you and I. We, we would love to love righteousness and hate evil, but sin sometimes gets the best of us. But this is what makes him different. So what makes him so different, and this is why it says that now Christ has been anointed with the oil of extreme gladness, right? And if you pair this with Hebrews chapter 12, it says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He endured hostility against sinners. He came into his world, and even his world didn't even recognize him. They treated him as a sinner, even though he was a righteous one. But what he was doing there, drinking the full cup of God's wrath uh, because of our sins, he was doing it because he loved righteousness, and he wanted to see righteousness. Righteousness now pervade all the earth and so that you and I can be reconciled. And God now takes him and anoints him with what? Oil of extreme gladness. That's actually how it's translated there. If there is joy in the heavens when one sinner repents, how much more when God ushered Repentance of many through his son. When he screamed, it is finished. And all of a sudden now, every people of every nation, every tribe, and every tongue confessed Jesus is Lord. And all of them came and finally enjoyed sonship before. This is, he is anointed with what? The oil of gladness. And this is actually where, I, I was just so mindful of, how many of us probably, this is a very tough season for us. A tough season because some of us, even in here, have lost loved ones. You will never celebrate this festive season the same way. Because these are around the times when you're losing some of your loved ones. It's a time of grief, right? You used to bake cookies with those that you love. But all of a sudden, they're no longer there. 
And but what I love about who Jesus is here is that I, I want you to know he's the man of sorrows, acquainted with all grief. He sits with you and grieves with you and weeps with you. But he also is the one that says, weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Why? Because you have a companion, Jesus, who is anointed with what? With the oil of gladness. Take heart. This is not just only a season of just like Christmas trees and all that. It is a season where we can trust our Savior who meets us in our deepest grief and He carries us to a posture of extreme joy even in the midst of trials. Amen? This is who Jesus is. Right? And it says this, and in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth. I love that. Because that word, Lord, you see, this is talking about the supremacy of Christ. If you had lowered him to just a baby or a cute baby in the manger, you've lost who he is. This is actually exalting him and saying, fix your eyes on. He is way better. He is the Lord. Where was he? He established the earth and the heavens are like the work of the, the heavens are the work of his hands. They will perish. But look at this. He is eternal. He remains. He remains. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will roll them up like, like the clock. I love that because it says that like, like everything else will, and this is quoting Psalm 101, verse 25 to 27, and, and where God is promising he's going to come as the Savior to his people. And he says heavens will disappear and be destroyed, but he remains permanently. He is unchanging in a changing universe. Right, clothes will wear out and get out, uh, uh, outdated and updated. You, you, you keep on buying new clothes, right? But he doesn't need upgrades because he is the one who's from eternity to eternity, right? He is the same. He will never change. Now, to which angels did he, has he ever said, sit at my right hand until your enemies are your footstool? And he's quoting Psalm 110, right? All these, like approving that he is the son. He is the son. He is the son. And he is proving here now the son's sovereignty. God never said to any angels, but to his son, sit at my right hand. And here, this is pointing to, if you actually look through this verse, Psalm 110 is quoted by more New Testament writers than anybody referring to Christ. You see it in Mark chapter 12, in Acts chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 120. You see it in Hebrews chapter 10. You see it in Colossians chapter 3. You see it in 1 Peter. That what is Jesus doing now? He has risen from the dead, conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And now his victory is finished. And he is now waiting to come and wrap everything up again. Where there's no, there's not going to be any more weeping, any mourning. Because now he's going to come and fully reign as the son, as the son, right? And so when you're looking at this, this is the New Testament writers are looking at these verses and they're looking at them Christologically and saying, this, this is not just a baby. He came to rule and be king. Jesus has triumphed over evil, death on the cross. And, and there is something about that first advent. The fact that like when you really read and you listen to the prophecies of him coming, even when he came in weakness as a baby, he already had a mission. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Like sin's tyranny was going to be obliterated because of Jesus. Right, reminded me of this great hymn. The strife is over, the battle is done, the victory of life is won. Right, the, the song of triumph in Jesus has begun. Hallelujah! That the powers of death have done their worst. Right, you and I know they've done their worst, but Christ and uh, Christ, Christ and uh, He has come and He has dispersed those powers. Let the shouts of holy joy outburst. The three sad days are quickly spared, 
at his resurrection. He rises glorious from the dead. Oh, glory to our risen Christ and our risen head. He closed the yawning gates of hell. The bars from heaven high, from heaven's high, uh, high portals fell and let the hymns of praise his triumph tell. Lord, by the stripes which wounded thee, from the death's dread, sting thy servants are free, and they may live to sing to thee forever now. And so, there's something that like, look at that next verse there, talking about angels. Where usually veneration of angels, and even right now, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church still has veneration of angels, where they venerate angels because they, they say they will behold God's face. Now, now they, they beg those angels and they, they, because they ask them to be sponsors of human salvation because they behold God's face. But here, he says this, are they not ministering spirits sent out? to serve those who are going to inherit salvation. He says that they serve. So they come and say, don't look to us. If you remember, they say, don't look to us. In the New Testament where people try to bow to angels and they say, no, 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 get up. Don't bow to me, right? They come in Luke chapter 2 and they come and they say glory to God in the highest, not to us, right, like peace on earth. They come as messengers of actually saying Jesus is coming, so now war has ceased between humanity and, and actually God because Jesus has finally come, right, right. Even to Mary. He says this, do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. They come, and they come, they are servants, they're serving on behalf of all those who will inherit what, who inherit the salvation. But I want you to see just a beautiful thing about, like, just this text here. It begins with, who is the inherit, who is inheriting everything? Jesus. And then it says that angels are coming to serve. They make an inv invitation through the gospel. What? Good news of great joy for all people. For who? For those who will inherit salvation. This is the good news of the gospel. Right? Just this, this beautiful thing of that, like, because of Jesus and his ruling and reigning, we are now inv invited vicariously through his finished work with empty hands of faith to come and enjoy the victory he has won. To inherit what we couldn't inherit in our sinful nature, but because of his righteous nature, we now can inherit what he's inherited. Right? One writer says, on paper, angels are sweet and attractive and bright lit, something like Easter bunnies, right? Um, they're cute. While Jesus, who walked up Calvary's hill, is a blooded, he is a blooded savior. And, and this is what we see about him, a serious deterrent to, up, to up, upbeat religion and the power and, and, and even a deterrent to power, uh, the power of positive thinking. After all, no one ever spat on an angel and drove a crown uh, of twisted thorns into an angel's brow. No angel ever hung on a cross, an object of derision to passers-by. And no no one ever mocked an angel and, and said he saved others and he cannot save himself. No angel ever cried out of anguish of death. My God, my God, why have you, for, why have you forsaken me? Unlike Jesus, angels do not share the human flesh and blood. Thus, no angel's blood is ever spilled. No angel's flesh is ever torn by the spikes. But I want you to see this, like this is actually like we are prone to, 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 to desert this suffering Savior for the things that are flashy. Angels sound a lot more glorious than a suffering Savior on the cross. 
But here he is saying that, no, 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 no. The, the one that came and his body was tall for you, he is better. Because even angels on a good day wouldn't die for you. But what actually is so beautiful here is that if Jesus is king, and in him we inherit a far better salvation than any, any other experience we could ever have. Right? Let me say it again in this way. In Jesus our king, we are granted an incomparable salvation far exceeding any other. You and I in Jesus are extended. And so if, if he is the one who's inherited everything and we're invited to inherit salvation, what does that mean looking at the text? He invites us now to be seated with him in the heavenly places to rule with him. We're invited to rule with him, to have dominion with him. And not only that, we now have the name above all names to call upon the name of the Lord and we shall be saved. Listen, we now don't need, we don't need the special ops of heaven, the angels. We have the name that is above all name, the excellent name by which all mankind shall bow and every tongue confess. You and I have that inheritance in Jesus. Amen. That, that is the inheritance that now, no matter whatever you're stuck on, you can call on heaven. You don't need an appointment. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But who's saying that? It is the one who rules and reigns on high, who says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus. That is the beauty of Advent. Please do not settle for any other shiny stuff. Go for the jewel of heaven. Jesus himself. Let him be the one who dazzles you this season. Amen. And he invites us. In Jesus, God is pleased with us. Coming with empty hands of faith. Where we have done nothing, we've done everything to offend, but in Jesus we are given. He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that you and I can become what? The righteousness of God. You and I can now enter with, boldly into the throne of heaven, forgiven and finding grace for need. Anytime we need that. Right? We're invited to, to enjoy his unchanging posture towards us. If from eternity to eternity, he is God. If he died for us while we were still sinners, what makes you think today he will reject you because of your sinfulness? His unchanging posture towards you and I is just the same. Same yesterday, today, and forever. This is who our Savior is. This is a season where we savor that, right? We're invited to being transformed into his likeness and, and that changes us. Heaven has started to invade us from the inside out and it begins to help us to love righteousness and to hate evil. And because of what Jesus has done, if any man is in, is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. He's taken the heart of stone, he puts a heart of flesh and it starts beating on a totally different drumbeat all of a sudden. It's the drumbeat of heaven, not the drumbeat of Satan, hell and the grave and not the drumbeat of the world all of a sudden our hearts beat for eternity because he comes and changes us to love righteousness why would you reject that he promises transformation and I love this because though we suffer like him we also share extreme gladness with him, that's our inheritance Extreme gladness in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are what? Pleasures forevermore. That's why I just sometimes get mad at the New Testament writers. Consider it pure joy when you go into the valley of suffering. Why? Because even in there, God still remains white. The one who, who's, who, who fellowships with us in our suffering. And then, but also he what? He brings us. Weeping will not endure for a night, but joy comes. Joy comes. All your troubles don't have a final say. Joy is coming. The fullness of joy is coming, right? In him, he is our exceeding joy, like Psalm 42 says, right? In him, 
All things drive towards a bright future where our enemies will be finally subjugated. Right? Once and for all. So one of my favorite lines in the, in Le Miserable uh, is something Hugo writes, and he says this about the bishop. Um, he says, he did not study God. He was dazzled by him. Maybe that's actually like what we, we do. So a whole lot of times we go into this and we study. We can recite we can just like, and we can recite all that. And one of the reasons why probably obedience has not kicked in is because we do a whole lot of word work in a studying about God instead of being dazzled by him. Right. The Psalms are going to say, Psalm 45 especially, and going to say he is more beautiful than anything you will ever behold. Right? So I pray that this is a season where you get dazzled by God. You get dazzled by God because he is a supreme king. And so what does his supremacy call us to? Jesus' supremacy calls for our humility. Our humility. We need to start really just going and, and saying, if he was made a little lower than the angels, some eight, for a moment, and now he has been made higher than the angels, right, in his coronation after redeeming us, the question then is who's going to be king over your life? Who, who's going to be king over your life? And here's the gospel in a nutshell. From what we see in the Bible, God is the loving king of everything because he made everything. He is the king from the beginning. God enters into an unformed, unfilled, uh, unfilled world and it is dark and void and he speaks and life begins to come and he comes. And, and, but yet when you begin to look into the story of the Bible, man then desires to be king. Because of sin, the trouble is that we don't like doing what God tells us to do. Right? We say no to God. We try to be our own king. We try to be our own king, and through sin, we have made a mess of God's good world. We've made a mess of it. That's why when he's looking at Lazarus' death, and he kneels down, falls down, and he weeps. He begins to weep because he looks at his good world that he created. All of a sudden, it has turned into a big graveyard. And from there, he rises up and he's resolved. Death will be conquered. I'm the resurrection and the life. And he comes up from there. So God is the only true king. And he won't let people keep on saying no to his rule. Right? And so... God is just. God's punishment is that, is that we are shut out of his kingdom forever. We deserve punishment. And, and they, they, and, 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 but yet there is good news here. Because of his love, God sent his son, right? He is the one that God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus into the world. Jesus lived a life pleasing to God on our behalf. And he died to take our punishment so that we could now be forgiven. And he is more good news that for you and me. God brought him back to life again and he made him king of everything. And one day he will come back. What, what does that all mean for you and I. It means that there's two ways to live. You can either say no to God and be your own king and pretend to be your own king, rather. But scripture says one day every knee will bow. Even the ones that have totally stiffened through life and said, no, I know better. But he says he will shut us out of his kingdom forever. For those that have not bowed, or you can say, God, I come in repentance to you and start living with Jesus as your king and enjoy being in his kingdom forever. So the question is if Jesus is supreme, who's going to be your king? 
Are you going to settle? I, I, love, I love at least 1 Peter chapter 5. And it says that when Jesus comes, it says that he will give us his unfading crown of glory. What fading crowns are you settling for today? What fading crowns? And, and I just remembered even, for example, Esau. Esau is actually the one who's really painted and he neglected his inheritance. And he, changed, he exchanged his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And there's a whole lot of us in here, including me. If I try to survey all my darling sins, I'm talking about those ones that you like, you're going to be like, Jesus, take all of them. Like, but these are darling ones. These are my comfort, my security. Listen, like I, one, one thing I love about Christmas is that, is that all the snuggies I get out of this season, all the, all the fluffy blankets and all those comfortable things. Man, I went and even got my first pair of Crocs that are lined with fleece inside, right? Like, and it's just one of those things. I, I love that comfort. I love that comfort. And that's just like, but yet there are some of those sins that you're like, Man, Jesus, you can come. You can come so far. In my house, in my life, there's that one room. Jesus, no, 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 don't touch that. Don't touch that. But this is what I want you to see with the rest of our text here. That fixating on Jesus means that we actively maintain a rightful high view of our great salvation. We, we actively maintain, actively maintain. And, and if I was to say it in another way, focusing on Jesus means that we earnestly uphold an accurate and lofty perspective of this great salvation that you and I have. Where am I getting this? Look at this, two, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, for this reason, we must pay attention and that word, pay attention, it's like, turn your mind to. Turn your mind. It, it might want to turn somewhere else, but turn it. Fix your eyes on this. Turn your mind to this all the more. And that word, all the more there, is actually just saying this, like, that like, like it's more abundantly. That this needs to be the routine of your life of constantly, you will be destructed in a world. Turn your mind to this one thing, to what we have been, what we have heard, the good news that we have heard, so that we will not drift away. And this is where the problem comes in, is that if we do not fixate on Jesus, the danger is that like we become that like that little boat that's tied, that's, that begins to be untied at the dock, and then it just begins to like drift, 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 drift. And before you know it, it's hitting against stuff. And before you know it, it has no one who's driving it. It is out there, and it's being tossed back and forth. And it says that we, we, we need to pay attention so that we do not drift away. We do not drift away from that. And this is actually like hold fast, pay attention, hold on to, do not, and, and why, if you do not pay attention, what's the danger? Look at verse two there. For if the message spoke through the angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape? He's saying, if you took seriously the angel, the messages of, of the angels, what about this one about Jesus? How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And that word there, neglect, it means to pay no attention to. So when we're saying fixate, the opposite of that is neglect. Pay no attention to. It, it describes apathy and contempt, indifference, deeming it unworthy of notice. It means that like you just cruise through these kind of seasons and you don't stop to ponder. The king came. The king came and it's just, it's one of, and then you become preoccupied by all these other things. And, and it's actually, it neglect there means showing no lasting commitment. 
But like, look at the neglect, neglect, neglect what? Such a great salvation. And I'm here to tell you this, that like, why is it great? It is great because it has been, it has been secured by the great, the greatest of all time, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the jewel of heaven, Jesus himself. It wasn't special ops. It was the King himself who came on a rescue mission. And so don't neglect it because yours is a kingly salvation. It deserves utmost most what preoccupation it deserves your attention because it is from God himself I love how at least Romans actually writes Paul right a servant of what the gospel of God this is who this is his news and if it is the gospel of God this is what I just want to ask you how will he fa- how will it fail If it was devised by the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who holds the world together, and it is this Jesus, in him all things hold together, how will it fail in your life? How will it fail? It is a mighty salvation, superior than all the law. It is grace that has come. Grace upon grace has come through him. It is, a, it is great because of its source. This is God himself becoming flesh and coming to rescue you and I. And I love the writer. He then pulls three witnesses. And he's like, let me give you some witnesses to actually attest that this is greater than you've ever. You need to be preoccupied with this. This salvation, it has what? It it says this, this salvation has its beginning spoken by the Lord, spoken by Jesus himself. And then number two, it was confirmed by those who heard him. Right, they heard these these are the apostles and the New Testament writers, they heard him and they and and most of them died holding on to this confession. And at the same time, look at this, God put it a stamp on that, testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions, and all those miracles were actually to show the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come. And then it says this end of the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. And he is still testifying through that by actually how he equips, how he equipped the church then, but then how the Holy Spirit now equips us to do what we cannot do that actually showcases that Jesus is resident in our lives. Right. And here the, the, the admonition is please do not neglect this. Please don't just pay attention to this closely, right? Someone say this, just kind of illustrating this was, if the CIA or any, three other, any other three-letter agents knocked in your door with a sealed letter, you don't just take it and just throw it away. You don't start eating Cheerios over it. Because it has a seal. You will treat it important. You will open it because it's an urgent. And, but like its urgency never stops, right? And that's actually like where we, we need to really think about, is my salvation as important as maybe what we would say at three, uh, uh, like that letter that has a seal. Jesus' supremacy calls for our active preoccupation with our great salvation like fixating on it fixating on it preoccupy yourself with it ask God for an undivided heart ask God for him to really just begin to have have this unwavering focus on Jesus and let it ensure you that like let, let it let it actually continue to increase your appreciation especially with this extraordinary salvation he has done for us have this preoccupation, right? And maybe that's when, finally, salvation just becomes like something that just becomes amazing to you. The message of the gospel is it's this joyful proclamation from our king. And what it deserves is that it deserves full attention. What's taking your attention away from there? What's t- stealing your attention from sitting and really savoring, tasting and savoring. This is what I truly need.
fixating on Jesus, it, it implies that we deliberately maintain a, an accurate esteem, just, and we just continually just like keep going, going. Why? Because for every deep wound that you have, I love what Augustine says, in my deepest wounds, I saw your glory and it dazzled me. It's only in the face of Jesus that maybe even everything you're longing for, as you see who Jesus is, peace begins to invade. Healing, joy, all those things that you need. All you just need is to posture yourself in a place where the gospel becomes the most treasure for you. But what if you can't see it by yourself? Surround yourself with community. Fixating on Jesus means that we desire to surround ourselves with people who, who are also captivated by him. Like that's actually what the book of Hebrews says. It says, do not neglect gathering with one another. Why? Because don't just try to get dazzled by Jesus by yourself. Gather with other burning coals. And then watch the bonfire of worship just erupt from there. Right? And then so that you can fully embrace the spiritual inheritance you have in Jesus. I love what, what Tim Keller says. If you want the surpassing power of God in your life, you have to plunge yourself into community. Because God's power works in your life to the degree that you are involved in community. Right. That's, that's so good. Find others. Man, could you just make time? Invite a couple of friends. Sing hymns. Sing worship and just enjoy Jesus together. This is not a lone endeavor. It's, it's enjoy Jesus. And, and the last thing here is like be on mission. Fixating on Jesus means that we don't just keep this amazing gospel message to ourselves, but rather we seek our chances to express our faith and our, our faith by our words and our actions. Let's remember those who are really having a hard time during this time. Let's go into, let's begin to actually, let's give them a, gl a glimpse of what it looks like to be Jesus coming in. in, 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 in and in the book of Hebrews, it says that mourn with those who mourn. Like, like, like suffer with those that suffer. Just don't forget all those other ones. Make sure you're entering into each other's experiences and be on mission. Serve those that are going through. And, and I love what, uh, what Leslie Newbegin says. And he says this, and, and I'm just not going to preach through this because, but yet this is my favorite thing. It says mission with begins, mission, you going, it begins with a kind of explosion of joy. Listen to this. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot be possibly suppressed. Listen to this. It must be told. You got to tell somebody. Jesus is Lord and he's king. Who could be silent about such a fact? The mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is more like a fallout from a vast explosion. It's a radioactive fallout which is not lethal but life-giving. So make sure Christmas doesn't become all about you, yourself, and yourself. Be about actually like, man, it's a season of joy. Who else is not joyful? The men underneath the bridge, those that are weeping, those that are mourning. Go to the hospital, sing carols. Find someone who's not enjoying this season and be an agent of Jesus to them as well. Amen? And that's, that's, that's like, it's this beautiful thing that's happened. Because our king has come, it now turns us into people that just like, we, 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 listen, we are the people of the king. We, we've got nobility flowing in within us and we represent the king wherever we go, right? We represent the king wherever we go. Let it be known that as long as you are around those who love and worship the king, there is also a kingly fragrance that's left in every space we enter. Amen? 
Let it be known that we are people that inhale the gospel and we enjoy the gospel. It warms our hearts and we warm one another up. And then, but yet at the same time, we can't contain it. We gotta give it to somebody because Jesus is king and he rules and he reigns over death, hell, and the grave and over everything that could ever oppress mankind today. And mankind needs to hear that, especially during this season. Let it be known. And listen, not on our watch, not on our watch. Let it be known that we stewarded the time we were put on earth and we made sure that we were people of the king more than the people who live for themselves. Amen? Amen? I'm going to pray. I'm not going to go forward. Let's just, Jesus, we come before you. We thank you. Thank you for the fact that you are better. I thank you that you are more dazzling than anything we could, that could ever dazzle us. Thank you for the fact that your blood comes and undazzles us from the power of sin and redazzles us with the power of your resurrection. So this season, we ask you that, Lord, you would take us. You would continue to plunge us into your good news. That your good news would continue to intersect and meet us where we are, but as people of the King. We would be people that, Lord, are constantly joyful. Thank you that the kingdom of God is not in what we eat and drink, but the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, joy, and righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Would you help us to experience that? Would you help us this morning to shake loose through your power and your blood and through your kingly authority? Whatever it is that holds us down, the sin and the weight. And let us, Lord, be able to make room for you and fixate on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We hope God meets you where you are and doesn't leave you, but changes you through the work of his son. For additional information, please visit citychurchpa.org.